we all have Christmas movies that we watch every Christmas season. And it's been my observation that the Christmas movies that we watch are probably the lowest quality movies that we watch all year. But we just keep watching them. We watch it because it's tradition. We watch it because it's nostalgia. It's part of our annual rhythm. And so here are some of the, the Christmas movies that we watch at the Wim Hof house. Uh, one, the first one is uh, Christmas Vacation. Uh, Christmas Vacation, that might be an original, that might be on every one of our lists, but it's a classic. You've got the elf, you've got Will Ferrell, he's at his best. You've got Home Alone, Home Alone takes me back to my childhood every single time. And you've got Four Christmases, that's probably the newest one on the Wim Hof's list. It's hilarious, I mean, I, I'm, I'm rolling over laughing every time. And the last one is The Holiday. Holiday is the cheesiest movie I've ever seen in my life, and I watch it every single December. The Holiday is about two women. Now, these two women both go through a really terrible uh, heartache uh, with men, You've, and, and they want to switch places during the holiday season. And so uh, one goes from uh, L.A. to London. Uh, the other one goes from London to L.A., uh, the one who's in L.A. who goes to London uh, is Cameron Diaz's character. And uh, her, she's a very successful movie trailer producer in Hollywood. And uh, her boyfriend uh, cheats on her, Ethan. And it's a it's really painful experience. And she uh, kicks Ethan out of the house. And she's trying to cry, but she just can't. She says that she can't cry. It's one of the funniest scenes in the whole movie. But it's only funny because it's true. See, many of us, we have a hard time crying too. It could be that you were taught when you were a child that tears were a sign of weakness. It could be that you really want to cry, but now you can't. It could be that you cry all the time because you got all the feels. But tears really are about pain. And what we do with our tears or our lack thereof says something about how we process pain. And that's what Psalm 126 gets at. That's our psalm for today. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Let's start by looking at verse 4. In verse 4, you see the streams of Negev. The streams of Negev were about 100 miles south of Jerusalem. And it was that they were dry, the, the stream beds were dry most of the year because it's in the middle of the desert. When we're, we're, and where there's little to no water, there can be little to no life. And I found this picture that you'll see on the screen here. Uh, this, the, the picture is uh, taken uh, by NASA and it's taken uh, of the country of Sudan. And uh, you probably know this, but Egypt is the country right north of Sudan. And we all know that the Nile River starts in Egypt and it runs south. So it runs south through Sudan. And most of the year, uh, the, 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 the Nile River is uh, is, is, is not real wide, it's not real rushing un until it floods, and it floods during the rainy season. And the picture that you see on your left is what Sudan looks like before the rains. It's dry, it's arid, 
not a room, lot of room for life. But then the picture on the right is what happens after the rainy season, after it floods. It becomes lush. It becomes colorful. And these two images that you see here are what the psalmist is trying to get at in verse 4 to tell us about the nature of life. And he uses the word restore. And restore just means to bring back. And the story of the Bible is that we were made in the image of God. Our lives were lush and colorful, like the picture on the right. But then sin ravaged our lives, and now we become like the picture on the left. We're like a desert. And now, while we're in the desert, while we look like that, we await for our lives to be restored, to be brought back to its created intention. See, you weren't intended to be a desert. And now in this life, when you see the distance between the glory of life without sin and the pain of life with sin, it should make you cry. And we all experience pain in a variety of ways as Christians. We experience it in a variety of ways because we're sinners living in a fallen world. We all experience pain because of persecution if you're a Christian. We experience pain because of natural disasters like the pandemic. We experience pain because we're sinners. That our lives are hurtful to us because we make poor choices. We experience pain because other people have sinned against us. We experience pain because of societal evil, like racial injustice. We experience pain because of physical illness and physical death. The list might be longer than that. But the existence of these things forces us to reckon with the fact that life is not as it should be. It causes us to pray, restore us, O God. And as we stand in the midst of life, not as it should be, as we stand in the midst of a life that's like a desert, verses 5 and 6 give us permission to pray. Give us permission to pray, God, restore us, all while we cry. That's what verses 5 and 6 are really all about. And tears aren't just permitted, but tears really are a sign of holiness. Think about Jesus. Jesus is holiness personified. He's referred to in Isaiah 53, prediction of the Messiah. The Messiah is going to come and the Messiah is going to be a man of sorrows. And that's what we see in Jesus' life in the Gospels. You see in John 11 that he weeps at the sight of his friends who are mourning the loss of their brother. You see in Luke chapter 19 that Jesus is drawing near to Jerusalem and he weeps aloud because of the unbelief of the Jews. In Mark chapter 3, he is grieved over the Pharisees' unbelief. Mark chapter 7, he sighs at the sight of human suffering. Mark chapter 8, he sighs deeply over men's hard hearts. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus is greatly distressed as he thinks about his upcoming death. So since Jesus is fully man, and since Jesus cried, and because Jesus grieved, because Jesus sighed, because Jesus was greatly distressed. That's what life should look like for us too. See, Jesus hurt emotionally, so should we. Jesus had a certain amount of heaviness to him because he saw the things in the world that were messed up. So we should carry some of that heaviness too. So can you say that you carry this 
sense of heaviness living as a broken person in a broken world? Are tears a part of your life? Now to this whole issue of crying, I, I think we all fall in one of three camps. The first camp we could fall into is that we cry over the wrong things. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, our first uh, sermon in the Psalms was from Psalm chapter 1. And Psalm chapter 1 says uh, that you become a prosperous person if you meditate on God's law day and night. Now when it says prosperous, it's not talking about material wealth. It's talking about spiritual wealth. And the law of the Lord is the summation for the gospel. If the gospel is something that you are contemplating and that you are uh, wanting to, to, to live it out at every break, then you will begin to become like God. You will be changed. Your heart will begin to break over the things that break God's heart. See, not all crying is in and of itself holy, but crying over the things that fall on the bounds of what God considers to be broken is admirable. And that's what Psalm 126 is all about. Some of us cry over the wrong things. Uh, others of us, we don't cry at all. See, we live in an age uh, where positive thinking is emphasized at every turn. And if you take this thought to its extreme, then there are no room for tears. I've seen this at funerals. Uh, most people, they want to make funerals, they want to make them celebrations of life. And I, I can understand that to some degree. But funerals are supposed to be sad because someone has died. And death is not a part of the way things were supposed to be. And so we need spaces, spaces like funerals, to grieve, to sigh, and to cry. Because that's what Jesus did at Lazarus' funeral. So you cry over the wrong things, uh, you don't cry at all, or you cry too much. See, for some of us, uh, we cry uh, every day. We bathe ourselves in tears. Everything makes us sad. All of life is heavy. But I, again, I want to point us back to Jesus. Yes, he was a man of sorrows, but he was even more profoundly a man of joy. In Luke 10, 21, you see him rejoicing. His birth is announced as glad tidings of great joy in Luke chapter 2. Jesus is compared at a couple different points to John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a very serious person, uh, but Jesus came eating and drinking. He became uh, known as a glutton and drunkard because he ate and drank so much. But how could Jesus do that? How could he cry in some moments and party in others? It's because he knew Psalm 126. See, Psalm 126 affirms tears, but Psalm 126 also affirms joy. That's what you see in the second half of verses 5 and 6. You've got both sorrow and victory. In fact, there's this cause and effect relationship between the two. Our sorrow is actually the cause of our victory. Our tears are said to be the seeds of of joy. But that's really hard. It's impossibly hard to think about. How, how can you be in pain while at the same time knowing joy is coming down the pipe for you? How does that happen? What happens because you know verses 1 to 3. See, verses 1 to 3, if you look at all those verbs, they're written in the completed tense. See them? Restored, were, filled, said, done. 
completed tense. Verses 4 to 6, all the verbs are in the present tense. So the psalmist finds himself crying in the present, but if he looks back at the past in verses 1 to 3, he sees God's completed salvation in his life. And that gives him hope into the future. A future that will not be filled with crying, but that will be filled with belting shouts of joy. See, the psalmist knows that his tears are the prelude to a joyous harvest in the future. Same is true for us. The way you deal with your pain today is not to dismiss it. It's not to indulge it. But the pain of today should force you to look backwards so that you can look forwards. See, as Christians, if, if we look backwards, we see Jesus. We see Jesus who in Hebrews chapter 12 is said to have endured the cross. Great pain, unimaginable pain, enduring the cross. He scorned the cross's shame, according to Hebrews 12. How did he do it? He did it with joy. He did it for the joy that was set before him. He was able to have joy because he knew that resurrection was coming. The joy of his resurrection was greater than the pain of his crucifixion. See, I know you've got hard things going on in your life. I do too. We all have COVID going on. We all have the racial injustice going on. But then we all have our particular personal pain that's happening in the here and now. And these painful realities should cause us to weep. They should cause us to pray, restore us, O God. Give us back our lost fortunes. But our pain today should force us to look at our lives being on the same trajectory as Jesus's. See, if Jesus suffered, then we will suffer. But because Jesus rose again from the dead, we too will rise again from the dead. That pain will not always be a part of our story. So that means that your painful thing, the thing that you've got taking place in your life right now, one day it will be restored. You will not lie desolate forever. Resurrection joy is coming. You might suffer with addiction today, but one day you're going to be sober. You'll be joyfully so. You suffer with a broken relationship today, but one day that broken relationship will be restored. You cry over the racial injustice that's going on in our world, but one day we will be one humanity in all of our differences singing the same song to our diverse God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Today you might struggle paying the bills, but there's coming a day where you're not going to struggle paying the bills. You're going to have bounty like you wouldn't believe. And until that day comes... We must think back to the glorious events of Jesus' life, of his death, and his resurrection. And that will bring us delirious amazement today. Our barren, cheerless, tear-filled present, when it's coupled with faith, it metabolizes into joy as we await our promised future with Jesus. 
Let's pray. Oh, Father, empower us to weep. Lord, we want our hearts to break for the things that break yours. Help us to have hope. Help us to look back in the midst of all of our pain that dominates the forefront of our minds. Lord, that your life, death, and resurrection would become prominent. Oh, Father, we need you. In Christ's name, amen.